0: This week on Texas Scorecard Radio, in the news, a big voter fraud investigation. We'll also hear about Austin's latest taxpayer-funded boondoggle and a Trump appointment creating a vacancy in Congress. In our interview, we talked to Tracy Marshall of Transparency Texas about the staggering amount of lobbyists spending in Texas. And we'll close with a commentary from Empower Texans CEO Michael Quinson. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of Texas Scorecard Radio. I, of course, am your faithful host, Tony MacDonald. You can follow me on uh, social media at Mac, and find us on the web at www.texasscorecard.com. Get started with this week's news. I've got Aaron Anderson up in the DFW Metroplex, but you got a story about Houston. Uh, You're kind of our go-to person on all of this stuff involving election fraud in texas and uh, this is a big one the attorney general's office launching an investigation in harris county
1: well that's right tony we talked a little bit about it last week uh voting by mail in the news quite a bit as democrats push to expand it and claim it's perfectly safe for everyone to do well uh case developing out of Harris County is showing the real dangers of expanded vote by mail exposing some uh, mail ballot harvesting activity so uh, a complaint filed last week by a citizen activist retired school teacher uh, Colleen Vera who has been digging into some of these records for two years now coming up with a lot of evidence showing some uh, some what she calls some fishy activity in uh, mail balloting in the 2018 Democrat primary. She reported it over to the Secretary of State's office, and we found out last week the Texas Attorney General's office is going to be investigating uh, all of her documentation and more. She's still digging, looking at 2020 now as
0: well yeah so this really contradicts you know the story we hear out there is oh because of the chinese coronavirus and everybody shut down we have to expand mail-in balloting and you know the long story was well that's where the fraud is but now oh no it's totally safe we can expand it no problems well no now we're seeing there's this investigation into allegations in harris county of precisely what people are worried about mail-in ballot fraud Uh, so tell us like what is it that is being alleged here. What was being done?
1: So what Colleen Vera found out looking at mail ballot applications and then later the ballots themselves, once they became available, uh, that there was a real pattern in some certain precincts of the same people requesting big batches of mail ballots from the county clerk's office, uh, assisting voters, same handwriting on a lot of applications. And then she found 30 ballots, which were identically marked, with identical little X's in the the boxes. Uh, And this is a ballot with like 150 uh, people on it. And all their choices were identical with identical handwriting, uh, with ballots requested by the same person. So extremely suspicious.
0: Yeah, that is uh, interesting. We're talking about here, a primary election. So it's not as if you say, well, there's 30 people who are Democrats, so they all voted Democrat. You're talking about thirty very specific choices uh, in the democratic field.
1: That's right. And you tend to see tighter elections in primaries. Um, uh, and so this is where you're gonna see a lot more of your of your fraud and your ballot fraud. And she's actually identified multiple people who are alleged at this time, uh, ballot harvesters operating in these certain areas. Uh, At at some point, she thinks perhaps competitively uh, because there's good money to be made for a successful ballot harvester who can bring home the votes for their candidate.
0: Well, this is something people have always heard about, you know, down in the Rio Grande Valley, but now we're hearing it in Harris County. You hear about it happening in Tarrant County. And the takeaway is you've got to be super vigilant uh, on these elections. So great work uh, by Ms. Vera and uh, something we'll keep an eye on.
1: We'll definitely be following up, Tony. Thanks.
0: Next, let's turn and talk to Jacob Asmussen in Central Texas. Uh, Jacob, you have the city of Austin beat, which means you get to cover all of the craziest bad government ideas uh, before they spread out to the rest of the state. And uh, there with the city of Austin, they're not talking about the Heartbreak Hotel. It's the Homeless Hotel.
2: <laughs> That's right, Tony. Well, amid an economic crisis, uh, this is what the Austin City Council is doing. Last week, they spent nearly $9 million to buy a hotel to house the homeless. Now, this hotel only has roughly 75 rooms, which, doing the math, means taxpayers are being forced to spend over $116,000 per room, and that doesn't even include the ongoing maintenance costs.
0: Now, this is not the first time there was another one of these homeless hotels that they bought last year, right?
2: Yeah, this is a part of the council's ongoing plan to, to buy or lease these really expensive hotels. Last fall, they, they spent another $8 million on another hotel that could only house 81 people. Um, and this latest purchase, uh, it was the property itself was actually only valued at around four point eight million, and they spent almost nine on it.
0: Now, and this is all happening in the midst of this homeless camping ordinance debacle, where you have tent cities popping up around the city of Austin already. So the homeless are moving to Austin to camp you know, on the city streets. And then now we're throwing 150 hotel rooms into the mix.
2: Right. And these hotel rooms, a lot of people are concerned about them because uh, last fall's hotel was a low to no barrier shelter, which means, according to city officials, that means people can enter without a background check. They can stay as long as they want, and they don't even have to be sober while they're there.
0: So you literally have taxpayers on the hook for this hotel hotel. And it's, you know, for all intents and purposes, a crack house.
2: It's essentially, yeah. And, and this is a part, this hotel plan is a part of the city council's larger homelessness spending. I mean, they've already budgeted 62 million this year, a record high on homelessness. And despite they're swelling spending on this. Uh, numbers just came out that showed that uh, the amount of the homeless population is up 11% from last year, and the population of unsheltered homeless increased 45% this yeah,
0: year. Yeah, well, when you subsidize it, that's the way it goes. Uh, amazing thing with these hotels, they're being bought for eight or nine million, but they appraised for half of that. It makes you think there's some kind of cronyism involved.
2: I mean, it makes you wonder, but regardless, Tony, Austinites, everyday Austinites are paying for it, you know, and the city council is even talking about raising taxes again this year, Um, even though compared to 12 years ago, they're already taking 100 percent more cash from the median homeowner. And now they're thinking about doing it again even though nearly a quarter of the Austin workforce could be out of work because of their the government coronavirus shutdowns. So they're thinking about taking more money while people are already hurting.
0: Totally crazy, and this is why taxpayers have to be involved and have to take the fight to these councils.
2: Absolutely, Tony.
0: Finally, let's turn and talk to Texas Scorecard Managing Editor Brandon Waltons. Uh, President Trump making an appointment this week, and that's teeing up a Uh, not a special election, but a scramble to put somebody on the ballot, an election of sorts. Uh, Tell us about that.
3: Yeah. So you've got Congressman John Ratcliffe. Okay. He represents a district up in the DFW area, basically from from Texarkana all the way over to Collin County, just north of Dallas. Uh, He appoints Ratcliffe as his new director of of national intelligence. Uh, He had actually previously appointed him and uh, kind of withdrawn, but finally the Senate confirms him. Uh, So now that's opening up a very, very, uh, interesting race to replace him on the ballot now uh of course we already had the march primary election uh so people have already voted ratcliffe was on that ballot people voted for him he won that election now with him leaving ahead of the november general election you've got this really really interesting situation where it looks like you're going to have precinct chairs people who are involved in the republican county parties in this district essentially choosing uh, the candidate. And so you've got, you know, a very, very different looking campaign, you know, rather than uh, folks coming out and, uh, and, and campaigning in a traditional sense. They're going to these precinct chairs and those are the folks, a very small group of people relatively, that they're going to have to convince. Uh, of course, there is some question about whether or not this process is even legal though.
0: Yeah, there's been a little controversy. One Republican attorney uh, opining that because he was appointed to this uh, appointed non-elective position, then they're not allowed to replace him. I've read it. I, I think I kind of disagree, or at least my facial kind of take is I disagree. The court's point is the courts may have to intervene. There may be a lawsuit mm-hmm. from the Democrats because there's a Democrat running for this seat. So if you lose the Republican nominee, the Democrat you know, is likely to win, unless there's like a successful write-in campaign. Uh, but nonetheless, it looks like this is going to happen, where he's going to be replaced on the ballot, A handful of folks already jumping in and kind of rumors more.
3: Yeah, some some kind of former folks who have run for congressional races in some of the districts up there. You've also got interesting Ratcliffe's uh, old, I think, district director, one of his staffers, uh, potentially throwing his hat in the ring. Uh, It's going to be very, very interesting. Like I said, when these precinct chairs make that decision, I mean, this is a pretty solid Republican district, all things considered. Uh, You know, So you've essentially got a handful of folks up there who are going to get to pick their next congressman.
0: Yeah, very interesting and kind of a grassroots thing that will be going on there that we'll definitely want to keep an eye on.
4: Texas Scorecard Radio is a project of Empower Texans. At TexasScorecard.com or EmpowerTexans.com, you can find more news and daily updates from all around the Lone Star State. You can also find updates from Empower Texans and Texas Scorecard on Facebook and Twitter and follow Empower Texans on Instagram. Texas Scorecard's News Digest goes out weekly via email with occasional updates throughout the week. Subscribe online and find more information at EmpowerTexans.com. Someone's always keeping score. We think it ought to be the taxpayers.
0: Well, it's great to welcome back on the program this week our friend Tracy Marshall with Transparency Texas dot org. Uh, Tracy, uh, thanks for coming back.
5: Thanks for having me, Tony. I'm excited to be here.
0: So wanted to talk about a couple of new things that are going on with Transparency Texas, Uh, big unveiling of all of the Texas lobbying data and and getting into the issue of the control that lobbyists um, exercise in our governmental process. Uh, But y'all have a big new announcement this week about an expansion. Tell us about that.
5: Yes, yes. I'd love to tell you about our lobby project, but first I need to tell you that we are about to be uh, Transparency USA starting this coming Monday, June 1st. We're excited to announce that we are expanding our coverage to nine states, um, nine of the most important political states. We will be covering Arizona, Florida, Michigan, Minnesota, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and of course, we'll continue our coverage of Texas. But um, we chose these states because they are important swing states. And now it's particularly important as state governments are under more scrutiny than ever because of uh, coronavirus uh, the debacle that's been going on and the, you can see more than ever the importance of our state politicians and how our state governments run so we are going to be shining a light on the money in state politics in those nine states absolutely
0: now. so if friends uh, if you if listeners if you have friends and family in in uh, not texas uh, <laughs> <laughs> are some places i think you were saying this is like a third of the population of the country now will have yeah. access to these tools and and i think you're absolutely right i mean if you, if you had tunnel vision to think, okay, everything's about uh, what Uncle Don in Washington is doing, uh, you suddenly have, have been arrested from that to realize, no, your state government, uh, your governors, your mayors, uh, your state legislators, these people are incredibly important uh, to your day-to-day in the preservation of liberty. So uh,
4: exactly.
0: exposing a, a little bit of information on on the campaign finance side uh, of these states should be very Very good. Uh, Here in Texas, though, like we were mentioning, uh, you have this new unveiled tool uh, looking at lobbying data. uh, And I guess I'll ask the question, you've always uh, had these great tools on there dealing with campaign finance data where politicians get their money uh, to to campaign for office. Uh, Why venture into the lobbying arena?
5: Right. That's a great question. Well, Four years ago, we started because we realized that um, all the money flowing through state political campaigns, political action committees, the money going to and from candidates, politicians, it was really hard for the average citizen to find it. So we have been making it easy for citizens to get answers they need about all the money going through state politics. But the longer we um, were kind of in that world looking at the money and Texas politics, we realized that the real financial juggernaut, if you will, in politics isn't so much the money that people are giving to candidates and PACs, it's the money spent on lobbying in Texas. In fact, Tony, I think the thing that has astounded me the most as we started digging into this was to see that at least uh, as far back as 2015, every election cycle that we have data on, um, the money spent on lobbying has far outweighed the money donated to candidates and PACs in the last election cycle, more than a hundred million dollars more was spent on lobbying than donated to politicians. So uh, that's,
0: that's an astounding fact. And I'm a guy, look, I'm kind of marinating in this stuff, you know, working in kind of legislative arena and things. Uh, I didn't know that. And I think that's really startling. And you have another startling fact in here. You put a great little piece up on the uh, TransparencyTexas.org website that there's – this is amazing. There's more disclosure for the giving that citizens do, giving to candidates, than there is for the whining and dining gifts that lobbyists do.
5: That's exactly right. It's another astounding fact about lobbying, and that is – Candidates and PACs have to record every single dollar that they get. They have to turn it into the Texas Ethics Commission. And if it exceeds $90, they have to tell the donor's name, address, employer, um, the date of the gift. But lobbyists, on the other hand, once they're hired, they can take politicians out. They can wine them, dime them, give them gifts, give them uh, tickets to expensive sporting events back when we had sporting events (laughs) and they can spend up to $132 a day on a legislator without even having to report it. So if you think about that, Tony, say you took, um, four legislators to dinner or to a ball game, they could spend, uh, Five hundred and thirty dollars on them without having to report it, and if there are two lobbyists there, they could spend more than a thousand dollars a day without yeah. having to report it.
0: That's so- the crazy thing. So, so if you if you bring more lobbyists, you get more of these undisclosed. You know, and it's one hundred and thirty a pop. So, right. you know, a couple lobbyists and a legislator, it's like okay, that's two sixty a day. It, this is pro legislator. So, like technically, they could be spending, <laughs> you know you just bring thousands of dollars a day exactly. <laughs> on on lobbying and and there's just there's no disclosure you don't know who they I mean you just don't know you don't know anything about um, these transactions
5: where they were what they were doing here's here's what's interesting to me I'm not saying that lobbying in and of itself is bad I think people have the right to do with their hard-earned dollars what they want to do but the what was really interesting was to see the difference in the disclosure that private, private citizens were held to a higher standard than lobbyists. And if you think about it, most people, I mean, you and I even, we live in this world of Texas politics, but um, the average citizen, even people who care about Texas politics, a lot of them can say, can name the big players on the left and on the right. Most of them can't name one single lobbyist. And yet that's where the real money, are. Uh, the at play is coming from
0: well and, and you know you you have this tool now on the website where you can go on there you say well who are the top lobbyists in texas and here's a list right. and you can see these incomes i mean you're talking millions of dollars a year in income uh, right. to these guys to persuade legislators to do things that are in the interest of you know whoever these folks uh, have signed on as a client.
5: Exactly. Like the top lobbyist in Texas so far, this election cycle is Daniel Hodge, and he has gotten more than $800 million in lobbying contracts already. Um, Wow. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of money at play there. So it's not it's we just felt like this was something that Texans had a right to know. They needed to be able to see. Um, this whole other area of money influencing their legislators and their politicians. So that was really the um, the motivation behind building out these databases and making it easy to search.
0: Now, one of the things that has been, you know, became a major issue in the last legislative session. I think it's uh, it's one of the Republican Party of Texas's priorities. Uh, it probably expected to be another major issue this next. Uh, cycle. And of course, uh, killed in the in the Texas House was a reform to get rid of taxpayer-funded lobbying. And that's something that's featured in this data as well, is how much of the money that these folks are earning, you know, who are earning millions of dollars in income as lobbyists, uh, a lot of that money is coming directly out of taxpayers' pockets.
5: Right. Exactly. In fact, we you can see on our site that more than $110 million, taxpayer dollars, have already been designated this election cycle to lobby Austin politicians, which is uh, around 20% of all the dollars spent. And it's um, it's honestly, Tony, it would be more than that, but we have put a very high bar on defining what qualifies as taxpayer funded lobbying. So um, for example, Obviously, we include organizations who are strictly have 100 percent of their funding from a taxing authority or they themselves are a taxing authority, like school district, for example. But um, we have included other entities when they get all or almost all of their funding from a taxing authority. So um, we set the bar high before we categorized an organization is taxpayer funded. So if it were, you know, it's, if it were lower, if we did, for example, say, oh, the majority of their funding came from taxing authorities, then that total dollar amount and the percentage would go way up.
0: Yeah. So you have folks who are vendors to government, but they do other private things. Those get classified as private lobbyists. But you also have these folks who, you know, get government contracts. It's really all they do. And mm-hmm. um, you could classify that, I guess, as private, but uh, that's the really taxpayer-funded because they're just a government contractor. That's what
5: they, that's, that's what that's they, do. they do. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you're talking about 110 million dollars in lobby contracts from these folks, but these lobbyists who work for these taxpayer-funded entities, um, they're also representing private clients at the same time. So it's a mix of clients. It seems to me that that presents, you know, very troubling conflicts of interest.
5: Right. It's interesting to look because you can see um, who all has hired these lobbyists and exactly what you said, they will have taxpayer funded clients and then they will also have private entities. So it's, and sometimes it looks as though they come in conflict. So when that lobbyist is talking to a give a particular legislator, you have to wonder um, who they're representing at that at that meal or at that event or in that meeting.
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. You have, um, you know, these local governments and some of them, they'll come out there and they'll say, look, we've got to keep paying these lobbyists because they do a really great job uh, representing our city or our port or, you know, whatever governmental entity uh, uh, that they're they're kind of speaking on behalf of. Oh, we've got to be able to continue to do this because these people are the experts who really can can get things done for us. But it was like if if you were a voter and your mayor said, well, you know, okay, uh, you know, I, I'm going to go and represent you down in Austin and go speak to the legislators on your behalf. But also, I also represent uh walmart (laughs) and and let me let me i'm gonna go down there and i'll be talking to him about the city but i'm also going to talk to him about walmart Mm -hmm. at the same you kind of raise your nose and go wait a second this you know And, and and that's the funny thing is people uh you know there's been a lot of objection uh and this is amazing too i learned this in the last few uh legislative sessions you have legislators you have um, city officials, some of these government officials who are lobbyists, you know, while they're in office, mm-hmm. and there's been a lot of outcry over that. But then you go look and start looking at the taxpayer-funded lobbyists, and you say this is the same thing, because they're being paid by the taxpayers to represent the taxpayers' interest, which I guess would be fine if that's all they did, <laughs> but but it isn't all they do. That's not. All <laughs> they're they hired. World. They're hired guns. You know, out out marketing themselves to everyone. Really, really amazing stuff.
5: Yeah. Well, and. I think our database helps people no matter where they are on, on this issue. Um, we've heard from some people who have said, "Oh, I'm using this." Who are, they're fans of taxpayer funded lobbying. Um, talk <laughs> to one city councilwoman, and she said she used our database to show her legislator that um, their taxpayer funded lobbyist was being far um, that was being far outspent. By some private corporations. So, on the other hand, people who want to ban the practice of taxpayer-funded lobbying can use our database to show exactly um, how much tax dollars are going to the practice and to suggest other things. So, uh, you know that that's kind of where we are on all of it. Is we ultimately believe that citizens are the ones who should decide, but they can't make informed decisions unless they have really good data, unless they know. So. No matter what your goals are, whether you're for or against taxpayer-funded lobbying, whether you want to protest, whether you want to talk to your legislator, whether you want to just see who's on your side, make a donation. um, We're trying to make that data available to private citizens, activists, everyone, so they can be as informed as possible. Because really, that's what it comes down to. Who decides
0: Great, great. It's such a great tool um, to take this data that exists out there, but is, you know, made intentionally hard to access right. and say, look, here, here it is. It's really easy to see. It's really easy to use. Uh, running out of time, tell listeners uh, at home, how do, they, how do they go check it out? What are the tools that they can see? Um, tell them how they can connect with you and, and learn more
5: uh transparencytexas.org or monday and from there you can go to the texas page and see all our great information on Texas. Um we are on Facebook and Twitter at transparency Texas and Transparency USA. So check us out. We'd love for them to join us, like, follow, all the things.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much, Tracy. Uh, thank you for the work that you do with, this, uh, with Transparency Texas. Now, Transparency USA, uh, great work, great uh, work empowering citizens. Go check it out, transparencytexas.org, transparencyusa.org.
2: Hi, this is Kerry Cheshire, Vice President of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. The 2020 election will be here before we know it, and with every election comes candidates that need to be vetted and tested before we can entrust them with our vote. At TFR, we take that vetting process seriously. Any candidate seeking our endorsement must first fill out a comprehensive questionnaire, then sit for an interview with our staff. We then seek input from each candidate's would-be constituents before making a decision. To find out more about our endorsement process and view which candidates have made the cut, visit empowertexans.com slash endorsements.
0: Well, we can't have transparency unless we have accuracy in the records that we keep. Empowered CEO Michael Quinn Sullivan touches on that subject in this week's commentary.
6: It was two years before Israel became a nation in 1948 that the first ancient scrolls were discovered by Bedouin shepherds in the caves of Qumran near the Dead Sea. Nearly a thousand scrolls were eventually uncovered by archaeologists covering most of the Old Testament, commentaries on those texts, other religious documents, and even some information about the community that lived in Qumran before it disappeared into the sands of time. Who these people were dwelling in the Qumran caves near the Dead Sea continues to be a topic of debate. It's believed by many that the scrolls were placed in clay jars in the caves during the Great Jewish Revolt in the late 60s and early 70s AD. They wanted these donkeys preserved from the ravages of war with Rome. Two lessons spring to mind. First, the scrolls themselves provide a stunning testament to the power of devoted transcription. These ancient copies of even more ancient texts mirror the translations we use today. Second, the people at Qumran, whether they the Essenes, a sect of the Sadducees, no one knows for sure, but clearly they wanted to preserve these writings, the fundamentals of their faith. They did so the very best way they could. Even in an age of text messages and emoticons, We can relate. Original copies of the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution sit in special cases at the National Archives, set to drop safely into special chambers at a moment's notice of a natural or man-made disaster. We do this for the same reason they did in Qumran, to preserve the words that define who we are. It's not that thousands upon thousands of copies of the Constitution don't exist. I have three different copies within arm reach as I type this. No, we protect these original copies in the event something happens to all the others. They're meaningful representations of what we believe and who we are as a self-governing people. Before the discovery of the scrolls at Qumran, it was very fashionable to question whether the translations we read today were authentic. We preserve important literature for the same reason we are thankful the people of Qumran did. Words matter, and maintaining faithful translations and copies of important work remain as important today as 2,000 years ago. With the Texas Scorecard Radio Commentary, I'm Michael Quinn Sullivan.
0: Well, that's all I have for you this week. Thank you for listening to Texas Scorecard Radio.
4: Texas Scorecard Radio is brought to you each week as a public service from the Empower Texans Foundation and in partnership with the Lincoln Institute and this station. You can download podcasts from each program and learn more at EmpowerTexans.com.